Roger here with some announcements before we get into this week's episode. PyCon Columbia 2018 will be taking place February 9th, 10th, 11th in Medellin, Colombia. Python Columbia includes various talks in Spanish and English, including a workshop on introductory functional programming with Python. For more information, visit www.pycon.co. Closure Sync is a new conference by the creator of PurelyFunctional.tv, Eric Normand. Set in New Orleans on February 15th and 16th, Closure Sync is all about the craft, business, and culture of closure. Go to ClosureSync.com, that's Closure, S-Y-N-C, dot com, to sign up. Lambda Days 2018 will be taking place February 22nd and 23rd in Krakow, Poland. The keynote speakers have been chosen. This year, Lambda Days will be opened by Philip Wadler, Mary Sheeran will open day two, and the conference will end on a high note with a talk by Feline Hermans. Both the very early bird and early bird tickets have sold out way ahead of time. The regular sale is on, so make sure you secure your spot. Still a student? Contact them regarding discounts and volunteering options. And Lambda Days has a special request for all you ladies of Lambda. They want to let you know that last year way too few of you decided to join them, so this year they have a special deal. For more information and to register, visit www.lambdadays.org. And if your company is interested in supporting Lambda Days, please contact sponsorship at lambdadays.org. Lambda Day welcomes organizations passionate about the community to tailor how they want to present their brand to Lambda Days' amazing audience. Bob 2018 is in Berlin on February 23rd. Bob is a developer conference on what's best in software development. Naturally, it has a strong focus on functional programming. For more information and register, visit bobconf.de. That's B-O-B-K-O-N-F dot D-E. And Bob is immediately followed by Closure D on February 24th, also in Berlin. More information on Closure D can be found at closured.de. And cross-registration discounts for Bob and Closure D are available. Michael Nygaard will be hosting a five-day workshop, Monolith to Microservices, March 12th through 16th in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. You will learn how to extract microservices out of a monolithic database-backed application while keeping the whole application available the whole time. For more information and register, visit n6consulting.com slash workshop slash monolith to microservices. Develop your Erlang, Elixir, and Beam skills at CodeBeam SF, formerly Erlang Factory San Francisco. CodeBeam SF will be taking place March 15th and 16th, with training taking place on the 12th through the 14th and the 19th through the 21st of March. 35 top-notch speakers have talks have just been added, and very early bird tickets are available at CodeSync.Global. Lambda Squared has been announced. Lambda Squared is a single-day, single-track functional programming conference held in Knoxville, Tennessee on March 30th of 2018. For more information and register, visit www.lambda-squared.com. ElixirConf EU will be taking place April 16th and 17th in Warsaw, Poland. Check out the Elixir Talks at ElixirConf EU, the premier Elixir conference in Europe. Early bird tickets are available, as well as tickets for a day of training that takes place on April 18th. For more information, and to register, visit www.elixirconf.eu. BuzzConf will take place Thursday, 26th of April, with workshops on Friday, April 27th, in Buenos Aires, Argentina. BuzzConf is a conference by developers, for developers, that explores the new horizons in computer science such as functional programming, distributed systems, big data, machine learning, and other interdisciplinary areas and brings them to a bigger audience. Call for presentation closes Monday, March 5th, and any call related to functional programming, distributed systems, databases, or machine learning is welcomed. For more information and to register, visit buzzconf.org. Monadic Party is a five-day-long Haskell summer school in Poznan, Poland, taking place June 11th through the 15th. They will have two tracks, one for programmers that aren't experienced in Haskell and would like to learn it from the basic concepts, and the other track is for people already familiar with the language and who will present a section of talks and workshops on a variety of topics. Their speakers include Julie Moranuki, who wrote Haskell Programming for First Principles, Chris Martin, the co-author of an upcoming Joy of Haskell, a GHC contributor, Christoph Gugolevsky, Carter Schoenwald, Marcin Shamutuski, and Michał Kowalitz. They have an open call for speakers and are looking for people who want to lead a series of lectures and or workshops. Check them out at monadic.party. And if you know of any other conferences around functional programming, Email contact at functionalgeekery.com, and I'll be happy to announce them. Also, 
some of you have mentioned that you would like to share your support for Functional Geekery. In that vein, Functional Geekery now has a Patreon page. If that is how you would like to show your support, you can find out more at www.patreon.com slash fngeekery. And a giant virtual hug goes out to all those who are already supporting the podcast. Lastly, if you're enjoying Functional Geekery, please help spread the word. If you would leave a rating and or review on iTunes or your favorite podcast directory, or even share your favorite episodes on social media, I need your help to spread the word about Functional Geekery. And if there are any guests or topics that you want to hear from or about, please reach out and email guests at functionalgeekery.com, and I'll put them on my notes for future episode ideas. Thank you for listening, and for all your support. Welcome to Functional Geekery. I'm your host, Proctor, and this week goes we have Jared Forsythe. Jared, would you mind telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Hi, thanks for having me. I do mobile and web development at Khan Academy, which is a nonprofit in the online education space. And... In general, I'm excited about languages, functional programming, and anything that can help us make programming less hard to get started and less frustrating. I've seen you via some reason tweets and network and people sharing some stuff. And then most recently, you got put back on the radar with a new podcast of Reason Town. But let's start back with how you got into software development and made the transition into functional programming? If that was something that you started with or you eventually started experimenting with later. So let's establish some context and some background for everybody listening. Sure. So I initially got started programming in somewhere around high school. My dad showed me how to make a website and I got excited about that and started a little bit of JavaScript, but mostly wanted to make games. And there was this program game maker that was mostly drag and drop, but it allowed you to go into kind of a, a pseudo programming language. And after a while, I got tired of that because it, it didn't have the power, or the complexity that I wanted in order to do what I was doing. So I, I shifted over to Python and Pygame. And that was, that, that was kind of my first real programming experience. And so definitely not, not functional, not typed, but I got into programming because I wanted to make things and, and Python at the time was the easiest way to do that. And I, I only ended up looking into functional programming much later. So you do Game Maker, you go Python. What was that time frame and what were some of those other languages that you played with? If you said you like experimenting with languages and looking at yeah. languages, what was the first thing that kind of started that? Were you doing Python for a while and established that and then got into a groove or was that you immediately started churning languages after going from GameMaker to Python. You're like, well, what else is out there? What was that transition of latching on and realizing that you like playing with languages and seeing the ideas that go with the different languages? Yeah. So when I started into Python, that was around 10 years ago. And I stuck with Python for, for a while. When I did a, a CS degree in college and there... The first course, I think, was in Java, and then there was one in C++ and C Sharp. And I was pretty unexcited about types at that point, actually, because it felt really cumbersome. C++, there were way too many seg faults, and it, it kind of colored my experience of having types in a language. But I took a class that was in Racket, and Racket is a, is a Lisp and is very, I guess it was previously called PLT Lisp. But that class taught me functional idioms and kind of forced me to bang my head against these new structures where I didn't have mutability as much. I didn't have object-oriented programming. And I got a feel for it. And it was probably as a result of that that I started playing around with more languages. After that, I got into ClojureScript because I, I had been doing a lot of JavaScript at that point. And I wanted something that didn't have... JavaScript's warts. And so I, I tried CoffeeScript. That wasn't as exciting to me. I tried ClojureScript and I, I loved the way that ClojureScript allowed me to manipulate data and the fluidity and the flexibility. I don't know. It's, it's just a different feeling when you have this language that's kind of completely oriented around transforming and processing data. So I, I was excited about ClojureScript for a little bit. And then around that time, I wanted types because I played around with some types and I was like, well, you know, what, what does ClojureScript have to offer? And it didn't really 
satisfy what I was looking for. I guess I was I was comparing it to Flow at the time because I was using Flow with JavaScript. And so I stopped using ClojureScript as much. I tried Rust and I guess I skipped over the part where I tried Go. You know, Go came onto the scene and was hot in the lots of people who had been using Node.js were like, oh, Go is like Node.js. It's easy to use, but it's so much faster. So let's try this. So I played around with that. And then later I tried Rust because I wanted something that was really performant for some generative art that I was doing. And I I had kind of millions of nodes and thousands of iterations over those nodes and stuff. So I, I wanted something that was really going to give me lots of performance. So I tried out Rust and was really excited about it. I think it has a lot to offer. And it had a a nice marriage between a really good type system and functional programming, along with kind of the compromises that I needed in order to be comfortable um, coming from a procedural imperative background. Because Rust will let you do some mutation if you want it. It'll let you do imperative loops if you need them. But then it also opens the door to all of these functional constructs when you can understand them, when, when you are bought into that world. And then Reason came along and it was kind of like Rust. Well, the other way around, I guess, because Rust is in many ways inspired by OCaml. But Reason came along and it was like Rust, but it could compile to JavaScript and it could, you know, had, had a lot of cool properties that got me interested. So as you play with all these languages, you start out in Python. You mentioned going in C++ and Racket and you've played with all these other things. What were the primary languages that you were using day in and day out? What were the core languages you were working with? How many of these languages that you were trying became something you were working with? And how many of them just were those ideas and maybe just learning experiences? And if just learning experiences, what kind of ideas fed back in your day-to-day work? Because Python has some functional capabilities, whether or not you can take advantage of it as a full-fledged functional language. If you're doing JavaScript, there's different styles of JavaScript. So what were you working on in your main line, and how did some of those ideas feed back in as you were playing with some of these languages? Yeah, so my consistent, I guess, through the first, I don't know, five or so years, Python was my mainstay. That was what I was doing my programming in and all of my side projects. And then I kind of transferred over into JavaScript as I started various internships and employment. JavaScript was more in line with the opportunities that I had and still with a little bit of Python. But JavaScript was then kind of the, the past five years have been JavaScript as the mainstay. And then I, I try a new language, play around with it. Eventually, something gets in my way enough that, that it's not worth it anymore. And I go back to JavaScript. And meanwhile, JavaScript has been getting better for some value of better, but easier to use in my opinion. And especially at this point, I see JavaScript as as much easier to do functional programming in than Python, where Python doesn't have anonymous functions. And being able to do a Lambda in the middle of something, whenever I write Python these days, I, I keep wanting to reach for it and are like, oh, I have to break out of this, define a function somewhere, and then use it. And a couple things on that is... Which of those things kind of fed back in and what scars did you have from either Python as is and as you were as you originally learned it or JavaScript as you originally learned it or worked with teams in the way that the team as a whole uses that language? And what were some of those ideas that fed back in? Things like you said you had to get around the idea of not mutating stuff when you were looking at Racket and figuring out that, well, I can't just necessarily go reassign this variable if I want to, like it can do in Python. Yeah. So what were some of those things that you got bit that you saw as kind of seeing a solution to in your JavaScript Python experience that you folded back in? And maybe along with that is you said you'd go and do all these other languages until you got something you couldn't get over. And what were some of those things you couldn't get over as well? Sure. So when you ask about languages bleeding into each other, this this is very much a thing that I've seen, but both in my own code and in other people's code. When I look back on projects that I wrote kind of during my transition period between Python and JavaScript, and I look at the JavaScript, I think, oh, that is that is me wishing I were still in Python. 
Like I would make all these helper functions that are just Python standard library functions because I'm so used to reaching for them. And then after a while, I got used to the way that JavaScript works and the the standard functions that it has. And, and I wouldn't make those kind of Python-esque transitions nearly as much. As I started to try out functional programming in Racket and various other places, that definitely impacted the way that I wrote JavaScript. I would not rely on mutation as much. I would break things out into functions so that I could return values instead of reassigning variables. I guess it's a little hard to describe without code in front of me, but in places where I wished that JavaScript had expression blocks, for example, the the do blocks that are actually proposed in the ECMAScript council right now, when I wished I had do blocks, I would have to, I would break it out into functions so that I could avoid doing variable reassignment. And even more recently, in my day job, I use Java and Swift and JavaScript. And I was writing some JavaScript for our React Native app and talking with some coworkers, how do we solve this problem? How do we organize our code in a way that is elegant and is going to be maintainable and things? And my mind latched upon an idiom from Reason. And I thought, oh, you know, we, we could just kind of take advantage of this pattern that that reason forces you to, to do because it has more safety, because it has the type checking. We could just use this pattern in JavaScript and it would give us the elegance and the maintainability that you would get in reason. So that, that was a cool moment for me where it was very explicitly this language that I learned in my spare time is making the code that I write in production more robust. And then you said you played with a bunch of these languages, but you kept hitting things that you said oh, yeah. made it not worth it for you. What were some of those? And the reason I'm asking is I'm trying to establish that context because you seem to be trying to go in full in reason. At yeah. least you've adopted that for a while. You're putting together a podcast. Again, we'll cover that later. But trying to figure out what are those things that were stumbling blocks in other languages so we can set that stage for where reason is. So what was some of that stuff? If you go Go, ClojureScript, CoffeeScript, Rust, some of those are functional. Some of those are not. What were the different things that you were finding as a general theme that you were looking for in the language you wanted to adopt, or you were looking for the language you were wanting to adopt to not have? Yeah. So things that I ran into, I guess first I'll just go language by language and then maybe draw a common theme out of it. If we look at Go, I was upset that the type system was so simplistic, not having generics, famously. And I wanted to be able to use types as more than just error prevention. I I wanted to use them in a first-class way as an aid to reasoning about data. So with Go, the type system wasn't powerful enough. With ClojureScript, there were a couple of things. One was not having a type system. There is core typed, which was, I think, a PhD thesis of somebody. But it was so at odds with the Clojure ecosystem and the way that people wrote Clojure that it just didn't mesh. People tried it and left because they couldn't write Clojure the, the way that they were used to writing Clojure. They had to write this kind of halfway between Clojure and a type language. So Clojure script not having types. And also there were some ecosystem things that I wasn't as happy about where Clojure script interoperating with the greater JavaScript ecosystem was very hard at the time and is still to some extent there are some barriers because ClojureScript has kind of first and foremost been developed as Clojure developers want to do something on the web, right? People that are living in the Java ecosystem want to publish a client for the server that they're writing. And so the ClojureScript build chain and tools and everything works super well with Ant and Maven and all of these Java world things. But I was living in the NPM ecosystem and I, I wanted a tighter relationship there. So it was it was a tooling thing and a language feature thing that eventually kind of made me less interested in ClojureScript. Then we go to Rust, and Rust was very powerful, very fast. I loved the type system and the macros and the build chain. I take inspiration from Rust in a lot of things when I think about the Reason ecosystem and where I want it to develop. In the end, Rust didn't have an answer for client-side things. And most of what I've been doing for the past several years is websites. You know, I, I do generative art things and I do command line tools, but websites are always a big part of what I do. And Rust didn't really have an answer for that. And there were lots of little things about the ergonomics of the language 
that they've since fixed. They've, they spent a lot of time last year solving a bunch of paper cuts and getting a lot of things easier to use. And going forward, there's kind of the promise of WASM compilation with Rust. But again, at the, at the time, it, it didn't have a JavaScript solution. And then if we go over to, yeah, maybe that's all the languages I tried. So looking at all of those languages and kind of teasing out a common theme, I think I wanted a trifecta of being very beginner-oriented, so being very welcome, welcoming to people that are not familiar with functional paradigms. So giving you some leeway where, for example, Elm or Haskell kind of don't want anything to do with mutability and side effects are, are very carefully managed. Um, and then the second thing is really good tooling. I want a package manager and a build tool and, and all these things that, that just work, that you don't have to wade through lots of error messages. That was actually another thing with the, with the ClojureScript ecosystem being built on Java. All the build tools were running on the JVM, and they would spit out pages and pages of error messages that you'd, you'd have to kind of sift through. And if you weren't familiar with the Java world, you were at a complete loss. So having really good build tools. And then the third is nice interop with the larger programming community, in, in this case, JavaScript. So playing nice with node modules, making it not too difficult to interact with other JavaScript that you have running. Again, where ClojureScript actually does this pretty well, there's not too much of a barrier. But in Elm, for example, they hold JavaScript at arm's length. Because JavaScript has all of these dangerous properties that Elm wants to protect you from, Elm is, is very safe as a core principle. But it, when I've tried Elm, I felt like it was too hard to integrate with the things that I already knew. And then how did Reason get put on your radar? You mentioned a bunch of these. You mentioned actually playing with Reason and seeing those principles. But what was the first thing that kind of put Reason on your radar? And what prompted you to say, yeah, I'm going to go try that. That seems like there's enough there at a first glance. What was the first appeal of Reason that said, this is worth checking out. I think this may solve some of these parts of the trifecta I'm looking for. Yeah. So initially, I was interning at Facebook on the React Native team, and Jordan Walk sat across from me. And he was playing with this new thing, a language that he was calling Reason, or rather a syntax that was just a, a new syntax and toolchain for OCaml. And the thing that attracted me at the time was Jordan's focus on the developer experience, where these languages, OCaml and Haskell, for example, that have historically been very powerful and have really nice type systems and really cool language features have been more rooted in academia. And so they have gotten the features that could easily be turned into a journal article and a, you know, a published paper, which tends to be the more kind of focusing on language features and less on community features and build tooling and developer experience. So when I saw Jordan taking OCaml, which has all of these nice properties, and then making a, a more accessible veneer over it, that was really interesting to me. So that was two and a half years ago, I guess. And so I, I played with it a little bit, but it was very, very alpha, very rough. And so over the following year, I would kind of dip in every couple of months and see, you know, where is it? Is it ready for me to try something? And then about a year and a half ago, I started hacking on it in earnest. And I, I made a couple of side projects and I started contributing to the core. And that was when it was finally ready for kind of enthusiasts at my level to actually do real things with it. And enthusiasts at your level. So it's been a while since we've had the last person to talk about Reason to mention it. We've had a couple people talk about it. There's some stuff I want to cover. And you mentioned the veneer of OCaml, but if you're saying enthusiasts at your level, if you're a core contributor that can give for right or wrong, a different impression of what your level means. So where would you say Reason is for community adoption? How broad do you think this is? Because I know I don't know yeah. that I've seen it actually hit 1.0 yet, but like Elm, Elm hasn't hit 1.0, but you have a number of people still running it in production and still taking adoption and pushing it further. So first version, 
production release of a language doesn't necessarily mean anything. So right. what's the state of reason as it stands now in your view? Yeah, I guess when I said at my level, I, that was probably the, the wrong wording. I guess at my level of tolerance for sharp edges. Um, so a year and a half ago, there were still a lot of sharp edges, but it, it had gotten smooth enough that I could start working with it. And over the past six months, even a lot of things have coalesced and gotten more stable. The syntax got a big overhaul last November to make it more accessible to people coming from JavaScript and C style languages. And the build tool has gotten a lot more stable, a lot more fully featured over the past year. So these days, I tell people that it is ready for small teams. If you're ready to put up with a little bit of instability, but it's it's not going to burn you, where a small team is kind of under 10. I'm certainly not ready to introduce it to the team at Khan Academy. We've got 40 developers, 50 developers, and it's not there yet. But for a small team, it can have really nice benefits and the, the costs aren't nearly as much as they were a year ago. So a couple things around that. You mentioned the small team and not for a team of 40 developers at Khan Academy. Yeah. Along with the JavaScript integration, is that something that it's comfortable enough, even maybe in a large team, if you to slice off a small part of the domain, if it gets something very specific, that the tooling side, whether or not, if so, if you only have like five people who ever touch this area, just because it's something specific, is that tooling and integration level smooth enough that you could still potentially introduce it as a new team if it's something small enough that has a high enough turn that you're like, if we need to, we can just rewrite this in JavaScript, but we want to use and take advantage of some of the types for this because it's a uh, more critical aspect where the types can save our system kind of thing. Is there something along that line stability yet or not as far as the overall integration or maybe even just if you pull in an NPM package and you see that it's in reason, are those kinds of community integrations coming along at this point as well? Yeah. So you asked earlier about people deploying it in production and there are, I think, half a dozen companies that put their logo on the on the Reason page saying that they have it in production. And one of the emphases of the Reason project is nice integration with JavaScript. And so if, if you have that situation where there's a kind of a, a small piece of the product that you, you don't need everyone to be able to, to jump into and you want more of the safety that types will give you, then you can totally rewrite a couple of files in Reason and have JavaScript consume the libraries. The interop is pretty nice. And you can also, there are libraries that are written in Reason, but they publish to NPM with the compiled JavaScript. So you can use them from the JavaScript world, not even knowing that Reason made the JavaScript that you're consuming, similar to things that are written in CoffeeScript or transpiled via Babel. You also asked about kind of comparing to Elm. And I, I see us as kind of a year or two behind Elm in terms of stability. Maybe more than that, but that's that's my ballpark. And then three or four years behind Rust, if that is a useful comparison, where a couple of years from now, I hope to have a much larger community. So there's more availability of documentation and tutorials and community packages. And I think the core is actually in a pretty reasonable place right now. And you mentioned the veneer of OCaml and a little bit more of a little bit more friendly towards the JavaScript C++ family of languages with the curly braces versus the ML family of syntax. And I believe BuckleScript is the compiler for reason. And that was essentially an OCaml compiler as well. Is that still holding true? Where yeah. reason becomes a... If you have some OCaml and you want to treat it like closure and closure script, you could do the OCaml side, pure side as well, if you want to go more of the OCaml route. Yeah. If you have people on your team that are familiar with the OCaml syntax that like that syntax, you can have reason and OCaml files side by side, and all of the build tools will just do the right thing. They'll use the reason parser on the one set and the OCaml parser on the other set, and both come down to the same abstract syntax tree. So from the compiler's perspective, there's no difference. Okay. And then I think before we start getting into other stuff you're doing and just establishing the landscape of where Reason looks is 
where are you finding in your exposure where reason fits? I know there was a reason react project. Looks like it. I played with a little bit before I realized that what I want to do and using something like reason react won't apply to a react in JavaScript. So probably not the best demos to show off when we're sharing our learnings about react, but then you got a reason react native in the works. And then you've got reason, I guess, just as regular JavaScript and probably node packages. Where are you finding reason to find its fit so far in the community about which part of JavaScript that reason is making good progress at fitting in. Definitely the React side of things is a big, is probably the biggest part at the moment where the core people behind reason are the same people that have been behind React and they work closely together with the core React team and have a really nice wrapper library that's called Reason React. And so when I, these days when I'm building a website and I would normally reach for React, I want Reason alongside because of the greater emphasis on functional programming and the helps that the compiler gives you when you have types and just the greater ability to reason about data when you have types. So building things in Reason, I think also in the community, people that have put Reason into production, I think it's mostly been in the context of a React app. And sometimes that is just shifting a couple of their components over to Reason, doing it gradually, because Reason React components that you write can be used easily from JavaScript as well. You don't have to go wholesale. You can just do an incremental adoption. Another place that is going to be building in Steam, I think, over this coming year, is using Reason for native command line tools. Reason, as compared to Node.js, has a very fast startup time. Being native compiled, it just beats Node in many, many cases. So I made a toy JavaScript bundler for a project that I was working on, and it finished compiling my project before Node finished starting up. You know, Node takes 300 milliseconds, and my bundler did my whole website in 200 milliseconds. So I, I think people will be looking toward Reason in a similar way that they've been looking at Go and Rust, where it's like, wow, I can produce a single binary that I can distribute, and it's very fast for these bundler kind of build tooling type things. And does that use things like the LLVM or what is it that allows Reason to target not just JavaScript as the backend, but target and use it for command line ex executables and create an actual binary? What is that? Is that Linux-based stuff? Is that things across Linux and Windows-based? How much of a win do you get when you write Reason and are able to push this out to a bunch of different environments. So this is Reason completely benefiting from OCaml's rich history, where OCaml has been a native compiled language, and it's been around for 20 years, and people have done lots of interesting things with it. So there's a bytecode compiler that compiles more quickly and can do hot reloading and is easier for debugging, but doesn't run quite as fast. And then there's just a straight assembly compiler, and it will it'll generate assembly for Linux, for Mac, for Windows, for native iOS, for native Android, you know, Raspberry Pi, all kinds of things. Now, of course, when you're generating a native bundle, you can't use a JavaScript node module, right? So it, it changes the packages that you can use. But that's one of the things that really attracted me to Reason as well, where it's like, I'm interested in building native apps at work. Like I said, I'm, I work on the mobile team and we do Swift and Java for our native apps. And we, we've started using React Native as well, because we want to share code, not duplicate everything. But you get the performance hit with React Native and jumping over the bridge. And recently, I was I wanted to dive into what does it look like to use Reason for native mobile development. And so I made a game that uses OpenGL as the rendering platform. And I compiled it to native Android and native iOS and onto the web using WebGL. And I published to the App Store and the Play Store just a month ago. Okay, so we might have to get you back on soon just to have a whole episode about compiling Reason to iOS and Android both because I didn't even realize that even OCaml by itself would do that. Raspberry Pi, not much of a surprise, still Linux-based system, but different chipset. So yeah, I could see where that could come and go, but 
the fact that the native devices, you now have this other option that compiles down sounds really intriguing. And I'm not quite sure we're going to get into there, but this does get into, I'd like to cover your game a little bit in the fact of just covering some of the stuff that you're doing. So maybe that's where that high level fits in and where people can find that. But what are the other things that you've been involved with as well with reason as far as things like that side projects, things you're pushing for, things you're trying to see and where you can take advantage of and the new reason town as well comes in with this kind of topic. So yeah, what's been going on in the reason world specifically for you? Whenever I start into a new language, as I've said, I've, I've started into a bunch. I generally do something in the realm of generative art. I really like making art and it tends to be a realm where I don't have to depend on too many external libraries. Just give me a canvas and I'll, I'll start making cool things. So the big project that got me into reason and writing more than a couple hundred lines was a maze generator in reason. And it, it was compiling to JavaScript and using the canvas. And so I would, I found whatever algorithms people use to make mazes and I figured that out. And then I, I would draw the maze and also animate it as the generator crawls the space and creates the maze. So that was my first kind of big reason project. And since then, I've been kind of bouncing around, exploring the different ways that I might use this language. I tried making a simple web server that would then talk to a client also written in reason. I played around with, you know, what does it look like when both halves are using the same strongly typed language? And I made a couple of contributions to the syntax, um, most recently with this game that I wrote. And I've, I've been working on some, this kind of normal React website side projects. And just this past week, I've been converting my website over to be statically generated using Reason on the native side. I don't know if that fully answers your question. You, you talked about kind of side projects that I've done and then also what I see in the community. Well, it was more just about the things that you were doing. So okay. you mentioned using a couple of things that might be worth expanding more. Maybe the actually putting it on the Android and iOS devices and maybe a high level of what that entails. Things like you mentioned also previously that you rewrote the dependency manager. And if you're doing a website, I guess some of these are good to give ideas from, but maybe what were some of the lessons or takeaways or I'm assuming most of this stuff could be found on your GitHub profile too, for people who are interested in seeing these examples as well as to mm -hmm. what you're finding, which one of those would you recommend people go check out versus, well, I tried this thing, but yeah, don't look at that one. That one was, <laughs> that one was an experiment and I still haven't figured that out. So if you're going to look at that, that's probably not the best example of the thing to say, here's a shining example of how to take advantage of reason because I'm still working out how to even make that. I guess an early an early maze solver before you actually understood the algorithms would probably not be the example that says, here's how you do a maze solver, but I really don't understand how you generate a maze yet kind of thing. Yeah. So I've tried to blog about the various things that I've been doing and learning. So I, after I started using Reason for making React websites, I wrote a long tutorial getting people into Reason React, and we can link to that in the show notes. And then just a couple of weeks ago, I, I made a blog post about this game that I made. And I, I included an example repository of an example game, along with the commands that you would run to get it compiling to the various targets, including hot reloading on web and desktop and Android. And so you're pushing all these ideas, you're playing with these. And I believe I've actually come across a couple of your blog posts and actually used those myself, probably one of the React Native ones of getting started with React Native with Reason mm -hmm. and getting that up and going. But you also take on the Elmtown podcast and decide to start a podcast about this. So first part is what makes you excited enough that now that you've been doing this for a year and a half, what's the part that really excites you about Reason and keeps you going to try all these different projects and then on top of those decide to add a podcast in and see that this thing is worth building a community around and evangelizing. Yeah. So 
I guess going back to my earlier journey through different programming languages, I feel like Reason is hitting a sweet spot that I haven't seen before. A sweet spot between a type system and a build system and a integration with JavaScript and overall just an emphasis on being accessible to beginners such that you could build a large community around it. And I think it's not too hard to claim that languages live or die by their community. It's not necessarily based on the technical merits. You know, if, if you make a checklist of this language versus this, this language, you say, well, you know, this one got 63 points and this one got 75 points, so I'll go with this one. At the end of the day, you want to know whether you can get answers on Stack Overflow and whether you can find tutorials about it and whether there's good documentation. And I guess actually another project that I failed to mention, I, I put together a website for a reason. The initial one was pretty sparse and was just kind of API docs. So I spent a while and made a, a new website for it so that it would be easier for people to just kind of get oriented. And so that goes into Reason Town, where having a podcast allows me to highlight people in the community that are doing cool things and also get a much bigger reach of people. They might not be invested enough to download Reason and try it out or to make their way through an explainer blog post. But podcasts are just a, a very accessible and entertaining way to become familiar with new technologies. So I think this is another avenue where people can get interested in Reason and then start using it. And so how do you tackle that? There's a bunch of different styles that people go down the route. There's sometimes there's the this weekend or this every other weekend where we kind of cover and do a 5, 10, 15 or whatever topic. There's the back and forth banter. There's the guest interviews. There's highlighting projects and talking about projects. There's any number of variations of what it means because that's part of the beauty of these things is everybody yeah. brings their own unique voice to it. But what route have you all decided to go with Reason Town? And for people who are just now finding about this, give a high-level pitch of what listeners could expect. So with Reason Town, Murphy and I are going to do a mix of some episodes where Murphy and I just talk about Reason and kind of do a beginner's guide where Murphy has only recently started into Reason. So he he represents kind of the newer perspective and I have kind of the more experienced perspective. And then we'll also do interviews with people in the community that are doing cool things. And also people on the core team, what's their vision for Reason? So a mix of episodes that will introduce you to, to different aspects of the Reason language and kind of help you if you're just starting out. And then also highlighting the cool things that you can do with Reason. So you can, you can get inspiration from that. And we're coming up on time. There's a couple more things I'm sure we can discuss, but... As we've been going, are there any other topics that you think we should highlight a little bit more or anything else that's crossed your mind as we've been talking that you think you need to either bring up that you haven't mentioned or just need to reiterate? Well, one exciting thing that I like to plug is there's going to be a Reason Conference this year, the first ever. It'll be in Vienna in May, and it's organized by some folks that have been doing a Reason Meetup there. And I've been there and presented, and they're, they're awesome. So that's an exciting thing for the community to have a first ever conference. And with that a little bit, that might be an interesting viewpoint because I know different languages have different community spreads. And if you're piggybacking on the OCaml side as well, how are you finding the geographic distribution of Reason? Is that something that's pretty uniform all over? Or are there certain areas that seem to be adopting Reason quicker just I could see Europe potentially in certain spots that have the strong OCaml background might be picking up Reason a little bit quicker just because you've got a stronger OCaml influence. Are you noticing anything like that? And I ask because you mentioned Vienna being the sweet spot of the first Reason conference. And if they've got a user group that's been going on for a while, how have you noticed the adoption across certain geographic areas? Is that hot in some of the Silicon Valley Boston area, like tech leader areas, is that pretty uniformly distributed with small pockets around? What what have you found that looking like when you interact with different people in the community? Yeah, it's really interesting because we're kind of straddling between JavaScript and OCaml. And with more of a focus on the JavaScript community, actually, 
where people that are already excited about OCaml, they have everything they need, really, in many respects. And so you, you certainly have people that come from an OCaml background and are like, oh, this, this is cool. I like the things that you're adding on here. But then you have people that have been using JavaScript and maybe they've been using TypeScript or Flow. And so they, they have some experience with using types in their JavaScript, but it, it hasn't been enough. It hasn't been sound enough. It still has all of the kind of the warts of the JavaScript runtime. And so they come to reason from that background. So I've seen people from all over the world, all over the US and, and Europe and other places getting together reason meetups and getting interested in it. And then as someone who's had a good broad view of the community, you mentioned you helped redesign the Reason site for a bigger holistic picture. Where would you point people to, and feel free to plug some of your other projects, but where would you actually point people to to get that good overview of Reason and get a good tutorial? I think it's still young enough that there aren't really many books out and you're going to be finding blog posts, but are there any things that come out that are more durable that stand the test of time? Because if you've got a blog post, sometimes you don't even see the date it's published. Where would you point people to to get the latest and greatest, keep up to date with what's going on in Reason and be able to start dipping their toes if they think this is interesting? Or at least say, I got another language. It's worth learning. Let's see what lessons I can take away from. Yeah. It depends on what your medium of choice is. There are several talks on YouTube that you can find giving an overview of Reason. I gave a couple of talks last year that are on YouTube. And then there are also blog posts. Um, like I've said, I've blogged a bunch, but there are also people that have been narrating their journey into Reason and their experiences with it. And that's really interesting. And then the, the Reason website tries to give a good quick start and good documentation. But we're definitely still at the stage. Like you said, we, we don't have a book in the way that there's the Rust book or the Elm book that is just kind of a nice thorough introduction. And Generally, people read a blog post or watch a conference talk and then start trying it out and then jump on our Discord channel. That is the main community source where, where you can come and get help and talk about things and tell us about what you've been doing. Okay, and I want to make sure we get those all listed out and I'll put those in the show notes, but making sure that, again, as part of the community, you want it to be welcoming and not all of a sudden stumble across that early blog post about that early alpha or beta version that you were talking about with all the sharp corners and scare someone off. So yeah, want to make sure we actually start to direct people towards better places to find that that might be more up to date than risk directing them to just search and come across something that's more higher ranked, but less relevant just due to the time shifting as reason has evolved. Yeah. So I've, I've heard several people have told me that the reason react tutorial that I wrote was a great introduction for them and I've kept it up to date. So it is up to date with the latest version of reason. And that was written kind of aimed at JavaScript developers that don't have any previous reason or OCaml experience. And then also on the reason website, there's a page that has a list of blog posts and a list of videos that is nicely curated. And then do you have any other recommendations of exciting projects that you've seen with Reason that you think people might be excited about. So your mention of your compiling Reason to a native iOS and Android app sounds intriguing and worth checking out. Do you have any other things that kind of get you excited when you've seen some of these projects that you would point people to as well and say, if you want to see some other good examples of more advanced Reason or some of the pushing the bounds of what Reason can do to know how far you can go versus just the intro? Like you might not get what they're doing now, but you can see that it can be done. Do you have anything that excites you out there in the community so far? Yeah. So this is definitely on on the more advanced edge, but there's a member of the community that has gotten a kind of a miniature version of React, kind of a, a stripped down version that has been worked on by the React team. And he's gotten it integrating with UIKit on iOS so that basically he's he's running Reason React, but not through a JavaScript bridge that's compiled to native iOS. And I think that that is really exciting to me because I, I would love to ditch the bridge and ditch the, the runtime cost of React Native while still being able to write React in, in the way that I do. So that's one really exciting thing. There is a... So Jordan Walk and Andrew Pop are working on a new package manager that's based more in the direction of native compilation. The OCaml world has some package managers that are more globally oriented. 
in the same way that when you do a Python install something and you're not in a virtual environment, it's just installed globally. That's been the norm for OCaml so far. But so Jordan's been working on this thing called Easy, which I think is showing the direction that we'll go in order to have nice native compilation in addition to nice JavaScript compilation. Yeah, those are the two things on top of my mind. And then is there anything that you want to ask of anybody out there who may be exposed to Reason, maybe just coming into Reason, any places that you would say and give guidance to about helping to contribute to the community if they find that Reason does appeal to them? Is there anything that you would call out specifically that they should help with if they're interested in Reason? Places of Reason that could use help, I should say? Yeah, definitely in the in the area of documentation, there's a lot more that could be done in making a gentle introduction to reason and you know, especially for beginners that are coming into the language, documenting their experience and this is what got me stuck or it really would have been nice if I'd known this earlier can just help more people have an easier time getting started. And you mentioned the Discord channel, but is there any places to help specifically direct some of those things or make notes of things that were stumbling blocks. I know some communities prefer just put out blog posts. It'll help with more search terms and people find it. Other people, some communities like more of a centralized forum or contribute and update docs on certain sites and contribute to the official documentation. What does that look like for a reasons community? We definitely welcome contributions to the official documentation and make a GitHub pull request. And if you found some part of the documentation confusing or you think you think you know we really need a page for example somebody made an issue a couple of weeks ago saying there's nowhere on this site that tells me explicitly how to deal with promises can we have a page about promises so that was a really good prompt where it's like oh yeah you know i guess we don't address that very well so that's probably the best way to do it sounds good and then where can people find you i'm sure we've got a couple places online we can link people to but what are the best places for people to follow you and follow Reason as well? And also, are there any places you're going to be in person that people can come across you and contact you and come say hi or thanks for your examples or whatever it is? So online, I'm most active on Twitter. That's probably the most reliable way to get a hold of me. And there are a couple of Twitter accounts that are good for staying up to date with Reason News. There's the main Reason account and then there's Reason Hub, uh, which we can link to. And then in person, I'm based in Utah in the US, and I go to JavaScript meetups frequently, so you might find me there. And I'll also be giving a workshop at the Reason Conference in Vienna, and I'll be speaking at a couple of other conferences this year. I'm not sure where. Sounds good. And we'll get those links in the show notes. And if you figure out what conference is and want to get those added to the show notes, because you've got them submitted, but you're just waiting to hear back, and it's relatively soon, we can get those added. Otherwise, up. Try and retweet some of your presence on Twitter as well or wherever you put the updates. Sure. And we'll definitely have to get you back on to talk more about some of this native compilation with Reason in the future because that sounds really interesting to have that promise of the right one native app and not actually have to do it in JavaScript and get down especially into native code and not have to do a Cordova or React Native bridge kind of implementation where you're just doing a website that's wrapped, but actually yeah. having a good interop story. So I'm sure I'll have to get you back on and in the future to get that. But I want to thank you for taking your time today, at least, and sharing more details about Reason with me and your background and giving a better overview of what's out there in the Reason world. Certainly. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Until next time, this has been Functional Geekery.